Let's talk to interesting people. Let's talk about the process of seeing things differently. Let's talk about the craft of molding truth and fiction together to arrive at something new and exciting. And let's have fun while doing it. Welcome to the True Fiction Podcast. Welcome to the newest episode of True Fiction, the podcast that seeks out creative people and finds out where all that creativity comes from. I'm your host, Patrick Boggs. Norby Yates is on assignment, and in his place, we have Marshall sitting in the co-pilot seat. How's it going tonight, Marshall? Good, Pat. How are you? I'm doing great. We have an amazing guest tonight. She is an American pop and jazz singer and trombone soloist. She's won the Audience Choice Award and the Jury's First Place Award at the 2009 Shermontreux Jazz Festival in Switzerland. And she's an American Idol contestant who won a golden ticket, which was a pass to the finals. And she's been a featured artist for Postmodern Jukebox and the Dave Cos Band. True Fiction welcomes Aubrey Logan to the show. So good to have you on here. How's it going tonight, Aubrey? Thank Hi, you, Aubrey. Patrick. Good to be here. I'm very happy to be here. You guys um, are, uh, are, are a delight, and uh, I can't wait to get into it with you guys. Wait till you talk to us before you make any judgments <laughs> on us. But, but, I, but I think we are a delight, so I appreciate that. Hey, <laughs> Your new album, Standard, will be released on the MWO Records on May 21st. Can you tell us a little bit about that album? Yeah, so Standard is really my first jazz album. Um, I previously made two R&B pop jazz albums, really. And this is really the first traditional jazz album. Of course, it's called Standard, which means there are standards on it. So I promise it's a jazz album. I promise it has standards on it, but I don't promise it has only jazz standards on it. It's like not all pants or jeans. <laughs> anyway, so uh, they, yeah, it was recorded live here in Austin um, where I live now. And uh, I'm very excited about it. It's kind of the stuff that I know some of the OG fans who've been with me for a long time have sort of been asking for for a long time. And, and they were right. So <laughs> that's what it is. Pre-ordered it, but I don't have it yet, of course. You're very sweet. Um, <laughs> I, I see a real big difference between not where the sun yeah. size is expensive. I, I see a little bit of difference in that, but I really see a major difference in the earlier albums. Impossible, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wondered about that. Um, was was that uh, what happened there? I mean, I, I, I noticed it in uh, where the sunshine is expensive mm-hmm. and also in the standard. I see it, it seems brighter. Uh, your voice seems it seems more out there to me. You know, I don't know that it was to you. It might sound sudden um, to me. That was over a period of five years. And oh, wow. five years of intense touring on the road. And, um, you know, so I what, what I can tell you what's different tangibly is that we recorded impossible like a pop record for most of the songs um, where we would lay down piano, bass, drums, and then a vocal. And only three of the songs were really recorded as a jazz album in, in a studio with a whole band in the room. So that differentiates it right there. I mean, the sunshine album was recorded live. With an audience in the room, just like anything in 1976. And the songs kind of sound like they're from 1976. And then the um, standard album is a pure jazz album. I mean, all the band in the room, one take, no redoing of any vocals, no redoing of anything. There was some overdub. There's some background vocals on it. That's about it. Are you with the same band all the time? No, no. um, I wish I was. That would be fun, but it's expensive. Mm -hmm. And um, it's tough to get the same band over all over to Europe all the time. And it's tough to get, you know, but I also am happy that I'm not because I've had so many wonderful people 
that I now know um, from so many wonderful places that are just world-class musicians. And I'm pretty spoiled too. So I definitely have like my first call people. I definitely have a lot of, lot of folks that I've known for years and played with for years. And, and that's just pretty normal. I think in this business, you, you definitely link up when you find somebody great, you try and hold on tight. And, um, but you know, everybody I work with is, is somebody else's first call too. So, uh, and that's the beauty of it. So I've, I've gotten to meet a lot of folks. I was wondering, this is Marshall. I was wondering on the, uh, with your trombone playing, is that how, what's the history of that? Were you always drawn to the trombone or did you grow up playing the trombone? Before age 12, I got my start singing and I sang the national anthem at Seahawks games in Seattle. I did sing at church all the time. I sang at school in the Seattle children's chorus. I sang all the time and I did musical theater. And when you do that as a kid, you miss a lot of school. You know, you, you have a tutor and you get, you get it done. And when I was about 12 years, 13 years old, maybe I was a little too old for the child roles that I had been doing playing. And I was a little too young for any sort of starlet role, you know, adult role. And so back to middle school, it was, and all my nerdy friends were in band and I wasn't. And when you're 13, that's a crisis. So uh, I was already able to read music. I was able to play some piano. So I knew I I had music kind of down and there was nothing else I was going to do but music. There was no, no other thing. But my mother, who was the choir director at my school, so there was no way I was going to be in choir, asked the band director, her colleague, if I could join the band. And he said, sure, what does she play? And my mom said, well, she doesn't, but she can pick something up. She can learn something. Just give her a chance. She can, and, and I could. Now I was a year behind the other students in band. So I told my mom, you can't do that. You can't, you know, and that's breaking the rules. And she's like, just, just trust me. My dad, who was a high school band director and a high school principal at that time, brought home a few instruments from his, from his school, from the band director, who was his, you know, the teacher. And I tried a saxophone, a clarinet, a French horn, my dad's trumpet. I tried that. And I tried a trombone and because my parents had such eclectic taste in music, they were listening to everything from Stevie Wonder to Beethoven to Whitney Houston to Dolly Parton to James Brown in Chicago. I had the trombone. I had a frame of reference for it, especially because they listened to Chicago all the time. And Jimmy Pancat was in that band. And especially because they listened to James Brown all the time. So when I picked up the trombone that day, I could make a sound on it. And that wasn't so bad. <laughs> and I... I knew what it was and I wanted to be in the jazz band. I I didn't see clarinets in the jazz band, even though I now know jazz clarinets a thing. So I didn't just want to be in the classical wind ensemble. I wanted to do something where I could really make sure I wasn't just in the classical realm. Although I like that too. And so I started to play the trombone then. Um, That's when, and the trombone itself is just kind of an extension for me. It's not necessarily, literally, it's, it's not necessarily a, separate thing in my musical world. I know that it looks like it is, but it isn't. Um, It's just something else that adds to what I'm already doing. Although, although it's a thorn in my flesh too, because it's kind of (laughs) difficult. It's a lot harder for me than singing. I think uh, you marry the two perfectly. I think that's a really great description of your performances and stuff. What I've seen where it is a, you know, just an extension of your musical repertoire. Thank you. Thank you. I think it's funny because when I've, I've watched your live, some of your live performances. And I think that 
what I find very interesting is you make it look easy. You make it look flawless. <laughs> You're an amazing performer. What I'm wondering about, um, and uh, definitely going to be uh, getting my ticket for, what is it, May 20th for your standard um, you know, live, the live stream concert. Live stream. Thank you. Looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. I just wondered, any plans to uh, any live face-to-face shows anytime? Yeah. So I've been doing a few. That particular show will have an audience there, oh, awesome. which doesn't just help me out. It helps the people watching too, because it's just, it's just so, it's just better. Uh, I have done, so the last show that I did, that was a li- the last live stream show, which was the Louboutins release also had an audience in the room and so did the show um that released on the sunny side of the street or sorry what did uh dreams dreams the oh, Stevie yeah. Nicks cover, um which are all on standard so yeah i have been doing some shows here in austin with a live crowd obviously they're they're kind of like half capacity roughly um but it is better than zero and let me tell you i did learn a lot about how to live stream and kind of conserve my energy for the camera instead of like lose your voice at the camera, which is sort of what I first did when all this started. Yeah. I had to learn to treat it more like a recording session, but the um, live shows are coming back. I do, I do have a San Antonio show the 19th Um, there rather than announcing a big tour, which is sort of not conducive to the current times. I am announcing live shows daily. And awesome. people want to want to come, um, you know, as they come up and there's many in California going on. I have got Oklahoma coming up, I've got Cincinnati coming up. They're just coming. They just keep coming as they can. And as they come, I, I put them on my website. So if people go to AubreyLogan.com and click that follow button, they'll get the emails with the show schedule there. I'm, I'm on bands in town. They can track me there. You know, you had something I'd never seen before. It's uh Aubrey Logan Veep.com, which is a, it's uh, a link. Veeps. 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 Okay. Yes. Sorry. That's Veeps. the live stream. Those, that, those are the live stream tickets. Yeah. That's to uh, watch from anywhere. That was awesome. I, I mean, you. I didn't even, I've not seen those. I, I follow different people that live stream, but I've never seen that Veeps. And I, when I went there, I seen there's a lot of artists that are doing it through yes. that. Yes. So there's, there's also, there's a couple other platforms. There's um, Stage It which, which is pretty, pretty popular. And I know some folks who actually run stage it oh, wow. and Veeps is very, Veeps is very similar. So Brandy Carlisle's doing shows on Veeps. And of course they, they pivoted. They were, they were just like a ticketing website. And then when COVID hit, they became a live streaming website and they still will be. And it's Veeps like VIPs, you know, V-E-E-P-S. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so that's why people can go on Veeps and get a live stream ticket, but also get like do the zoom hangout with me if they want, or buy a t-shirt with it or something. And, um, and then of course they're not, you know, if you miss the live stream, it's an on-demand platform. So you can like pay-per-view and get the wrestling match party at your house, <laughs> except it's the Aubrey Logan show, you know, so, um, <laughs> and why, and you can pause it and watch it the next day, you know, as and, long as it'll let. And, you know, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm planning to have some friends over and watching, watching your uh, standard. I would thing. love that. Yeah, it would be great. Thank oh, you. I can't wait. You know, another thing I want to talk about is your standards. You're playing other people's music. I'm going to tell you this, this is something crazy, but there are a lot of songs I don't like. But Thanks I listen too. to you take these songs, and it's like, wow. You you did Superstar Careless, Careless Whispers, and I just, mm-hmm. that blew me away. Thank you. That's so good, and I don't like Careless Whispers at all, so uh, <laughs> kudos. That, that hook fit in that moment. Um, and there's a lot of music in my head. There's a lot of music in 
every artist I know, there's just a lot of music going on in your head and you'll be jamming on something and then you'll like go, Ooh, this song. And then you'll get it in there. And that's probably how that one was born. Nice. What comes first when you, when you see it first, how do you pick a song that you want to, uh, to redo? <sighs> I yeah. Have to love it. I have to love it. Okay. If it's a collaboration with Postmodern Jukebox, that criteria is not necessarily the case. But if it's not, <laughs> because there are other reasons. Sometimes, sometimes it's just to make a, make a scene. And sometimes it's just to be funny, um, <laughs> which, is, which has a point. I mean, funny is good. But I do have to be able to relate to it. And I do have to kind of love it. And it does have to lend itself to some reharmonizations or just a different take. Um, if I don't love it, I don't do it unless it, you're talking to college Aubrey who sang at the weddings and had to pay my rent. Then <laughs> right. I don't care. Then I do whatever the bride says, even if it's, I will always love you, which is a breakup song, but they want it at their wedding until I point out the lyrics and then they listen to what it really is and go, it was a beautiful, very sad breakup song. Uh, never mind, you know, but um, beautiful song though. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, I have to love it. I don't typically take requests. I know that's horrible. I know it's a horrible thing to say, but the reason is, and if I were something else, if I were just like a, a swing band or something, there's plenty of great moments for lots of artists to take requests. I typically don't. And, and I could, but I, I'm, I have to really be able to connect to the song. And, and so I'm picky. I'm quite picky. And, and that's why I write a lot of songs. Cause well, it's just part of being artists, but, um, yeah. So when you write songs, since you're multi-talented, you, you do music, uh, you play instruments, and you've got the amazing vocals, where does it start? Does it start with a melody? Does it start with a lyric? It usually starts with one idea that's very short. So like, L.A., can you believe I'm still here today? And then it turns into... Blah doo bee booby doo jamming in a town and I'm in the middle of hay when talk is cheap and the blah blah and expensive. Well, and, you know that's how it usually goes. So the, there's like a one or two lyrics usually come up, and then at the same time, all the music is written in my head. Bam, done. All the orchestration's done. I have a score in my head. I just have to go write it down. Then the rest of the lyrics is what takes days, weeks, months years because lyrics are tricky. I went to Berkeley <laughs> College of Music where there was this whole group of people. I was in like the jazz clique and the R&B singer clique, but like there's this whole clique at Berkeley of songwriters, just songwriters. All they do is write songs and they're great at it. And they spit out lyrics like that's their job. I don't I can't do that. I I can, but I'm I, I, very hard. It's very hard. And so uh, lyrics take me a while. I don't like bad lyrics. They're all, they all going to be a little cheesy, but when they're too cheesy, it's <laughs> problematic. And it's, and it's just tough to write a song. That's not trite. It's tough to write a song. That's not. And then, and then either to, you, you, you got to get in the middle between super trite and like lame. <laughs> and then, then you can also be too sophisticated and unrelatable. So you need a little bit of the lame trite and you need a little, and you need a little bit of the sophistication and they need to be the perfect amount of each. And that's just hard to do. And it takes me, it takes a lot of revision for me. I think you really rode the line on airport codes. I, re I love that. That was that a bit self-indulgent. That was a bit self-indulgent, <laughs> but thank you. I, I, you know, um, 
And I, I think, you know, when I listen to that song, uh, when it first starts, I'm like, what is she doing? And then it becomes like this jazz prog thing that I, and yes. the people that are playing are just amazing. Yes. Um, I'm thinking when you're saying, I, I, you know, my lyrics, those lyrics are amazing. And now they're Thank right you. on the edge. Uh, but, yeah. but you know what it is? It's not just the lyrics. There's it's, a spectrum. Well, it's, it's actually how you, how you perform them. Thank you. you know, that's so much of it. Uh, it's like an actor. Yes. You know, the lines may not be, you know, you know, the, the actors make the lines. And when you sing it, that really sells that, that stuff. I appreciate that. Thank oh, you. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So many times you hear about like uh, creatives writing songs and they'll say, well, I was, you know, on the subway and this hit me or they'll, you yes. know, or you'll get the opposite where we locked ourselves in a cabin for weeks and yeah. forced this out. I was wondering with your creative process, is there anything that you do to kind of grease the wheels or is it kind of a, it just hits you from time to time? It hits me when I'm mad and angry <laughs> and crying and sad and or or incredibly happy you know it hits me at, at, at inconvenient times usually on for that song in particular believe it or not i wrote that one at an airport wow <laughs> what? Um, what do you know, know. <laughs> <laughs> weird um on a tour where we had to go to several different airports and we were losing our baggage and yeah oh, yeah that i wrote it there and and it was that the usually what it is is if i'm writing something literal like that like LA, which is a literal city or airport codes, which is a literal like airports it's huge or Louboutins, which is, which are literal <laughs> shoes. It's usually about something real that, and that you can touch, but it's a metaphor in the song. So that's, that's those three are prime examples of that. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's mm-hmm. awesome. <laughs> I was uh, checking out one of your songs and it's Sarah Wright. Sarah Reich. Reich. I'm sorry. Yes, Sarah Reich. That first amazing song. I love, of course, who doesn't love Jimi Hendrix Fire? Mm-hmm. But tapping in there, that was yeah. so cool. How did that come about? Sarah also taps, tapped with Melinda Sullivan on my original song, Pistol. Oh, wow. Um, on that video. And that's fully choreographed. That's a fun video. Um, I met Sarah through Postmodern Jukebox. We were on tour together many times. Sarah is... And I'm not saying this as a superlative. Sarah Reich is the best tap dancer in the world. And I mean, wow. it. and, and I, and the reason I know this is because I've actually gotten, had the privilege and honor of seeing many tap dancers. And I mean, the, the greatest living tap dancer. And she um, has basically brought tap out of the old era into now. And she's so musical with it. So we became fast friends and she is a very, just a very kind soul. We're, we're, we're buddies. We're BFFs. That's awesome. And um, I went, I did this EP called Your Mom's Favorite Songs. And I said, Sarah, we're doing Superstar, Careless Whisper, we're doing Natural Woman on this. We're doing um, my rendition of uh, Hollow Notes, Make My Dreams Come True on this. Um, I want you to tap on it, but what do you want to do? Because this is the vein. It's like late 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, your mom's favorite songs. And she just typed Jimi Hendrix Fire. Awesome. I was like, okay, great. And and then she goes, and all those drum fills are going to be me tapping. I'm like, perfect, great. So I arranged it and slapped it over to the band, and she showed up to the session and brought her little board, her little square <laughs> that she keeps in her little car, and we mic'd it. You know, they have to mic the tap board. Oh, um, absolutely. And she trades fours with my drummer, Dave, and they have, and every drummer that knows her has so much fun with her because they trade fours all the time. They play off each other. I mean, it's she's drumming with her feet. 
Uh, it's it's amazing, you know, and yeah. I didn't know it when I first listened to it, you know, and then you, you know, I had to look it up and go, oh, that is amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a lot of what, uh, when I listen to your music, that's what I do a lot of times. I'll listen to, you know, I'll hear the song, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, after the second or third listen, then I'm picking out instruments at different times and just, you know, uh, marveling at these, the musicianship and your, your voice is, you're such an acrobatic voice singer. I just can't <laughs> imagine how you do all this. Do you ever listen to your own stuff and can you listen without critiquing it too hard? Yeah, I can now. Yeah. Because I'll tell you, it's pretty good. I have good. to. Thank you. <laughs> I have to. Okay. Yeah. I, you yeah. know, so I know, you know, a lot of us, uh, uh, we, we, you know, I do art. Um, uh, our part, my partner here that's not here tonight, Norbert, he is, he's a graphic artist as well. Sometimes it's hard to look at our stuff and with a, sure. uh, you know, that kind of eye. Objective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it gets better. It's gotten easier. Um, I don't know that like 18 year old Aubrey was having a lot of fun with that, but you know, I can enjoy it sometimes even speaking of, (laughs) and then then a lot of time I'm like, my mom will play it. I'll be like, turn that off. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) You know, I think what's, what's amazing to me is, uh, I don't know about 18 year old Aubrey, but 21 year old Aubrey was at the Montreux jazz festival winning awards and, and doing, um, idol. So I, that's yeah, amazing. Firmly rejected by Simon. Kelly. That's not a bad thing. That's not 21 year old Aubrey, uh, was pretty insecure, but, but it was, I'm grateful for both those things, both the, the doldrums and the triumphs, you know, the, um, looking back, I, I really am. Gosh, you look back at some things and wonder how you got through it. Those are kind of both. Um, even though I won the Montreux Jazz Festival, it's like know, kind of a amazing. miracle. And um, and and yeah, I, I I wouldn't trade those experiences for anything in hindsight. And um, you know, met some of the, my best friends through both those experiences. Who who I work with to this day. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I look at uh, your. I came I came to Aubrey Logan late. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I look at. I look at your whole catalog at once. I don't know when things happened, when things didn't happen. I know hey, you're. In, that's what I want you to do, honestly. You know, as I keep going in the back catalog, it's it's mm. it's all good. It's so good. I love that uh, songs your mother loves or your. Uh, that's <laughs> your a, mom's that, favorite songs. Yeah. There you go. Your mom's favorite songs. Mm-hmm. Um, I but one thing that I wondered, I was wondering. I I love the song L.A. Uh, I think mm. that's a great song. But I know that, and I know that you were in L.A. for quite a while. You seem to make mm-hmm. really good friends and, and, and good yes. people. That song, and then you're in Texas now. Does that mm-hmm. song tell a real story, or is that just where you're feeling at the time? Or Yeah, no, it tells a real story. It's, it's a present tense story, you know? It's, a cons- it's, a, it's also, yes, it's about L.A., and it's about, and, and I pretty much wrote it, thinking all the artists in the world are going to relate to this, not just the ones in LA. Um, but the ones in LA really do. <laughs> Cause there's, you know, there's LA jokes in the song. Um, and I, I wrote that thinking I've got to write a song about how this town broke my heart and also helped me out, you know, and, and the stereotypes are pretty true. You know, I'm, I, uh, everybody's friendly, but I still don't have a friend. That's the line yeah. in the song. Um, I have friends in LA, but, but, it, <laughs> but you know, they're the ones who you have to kind of find them. Um, it's not automatic. And, um, <laughs> um, yeah, so yes, it's literal and it's, and it's not, um, I wrote literal things again, again, with the whole, 
it's about something you can taste and smell and touch and drive on, but it's also hopefully reaching people that have never even been there in their life. But, but understand that life does, um, it's a song about unmet expectations. That's a, it, really. And it's a song about the grieving that and grieving your dreams, not being what you thought they would be. And then being, and then still not with the doldrums, you know, not totally depressing, a little bit grateful too. It, it's, it's both. Um, and I figured if Sting can write songs about a city and if James Taylor can write a song about a city and if Billy Joel can write a song about a city, <laughs> that writing songs about a city is sort of a thing people do and I can do it too. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Randy Newman, you know? Yes. I love LA, so. Yeah, yeah. I came across an album that you had a song on. I love the title. It said, uh, New Gramophone Who Dis. I don't know if you remember that. That is, that is a Postmodern Jukebox album. I am featured on it. I yes. don't know which song I'm featured on on that one because there's so many Postmodern Jukebox albums. Something Beast. Uh, Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. Yes, yes, that's it. Once it was a, that was a collaboration with Postmodern Jukebox. Amazing. It's beautiful. Another song that I didn't care for until I heard Aubrey Logan do it with Postmodern Jukebox. So, how was it with those guys? I love them. They are. They're well. That's how I met Sarah Reich. Yeah. Um. It's how I met many of my very best friends that I still <laughs> work with. Scott Bradley is. Um. It's not a band. Postmodern Jukebox is not a band. It's a universe of people of artists. Collective. It's like it's like SNL. Like you get you never know who's going to be on the skit, but. <laughs> They're like all kind of know each other. And that's sort of what, what it is. Um, I'm happy to be a part of the family. You know, um, Scott Bradley introduced me to his audience when I, we collaborated on my first video, which was Bad Blood, which I don't like. You know, I don't like that song. I think I'm allowed to say that, but I'm also allowed to say that was so much fun. And I have so much fun performing it every time. It's, part of it's just a little bit of a sarcasm and it's a little bit sarcastic. And yet we're being real. Um I love those guys and I love all the people I've met and I've collaborated with many of them outside of postmodern jukebox since obviously with Sarah and yeah. with Casey Abrams, Casey Abrams did two duets with me on two different albums. Um, Scott has been, I just was texting him today where we're, he hasn't made a video in over a year and uh, we're working on something coming up and it's going to be just a really fun comeback. It's going to be a really fun time with him. Oh, uh, we are I can't tell you what it is yet. <laughs> You, you you can tell us it's just us here. So it's also going to be quite ridiculous. I mean, it's pretty. You know, you do. The point is, it's viral. He did stuff to be viral, and it worked. And you have to be a little funny and a little ridiculous and a little impressive and chops and whatever. You know. They say that comedy is serious business, and I think probably the way that you <laughs> approach that music, it has to be oh, too. Yeah. Uh, yes. And it's done with, we do it with as much excellence as we can muster. It's not like we're making, yeah, we're, we're trying to play well. Um, but it is funny. I love it because it's that, that whole thing. You're not, you know, you're listening to a metal song played in a jazz way or yeah, something. You know, funny. It's, it's hilarious. It's, it is. And it's, it's inappropriate. Yes. <laughs> we like inappropriate. Yeah. Right. It's inappropriate. I mean, I did ice ice baby with them. I did a vanilla ice. I did red hot chili peppers with them. Which give we, it away. Well, we've been talking about that. Yeah. We love yeah that. Which we love is that. highly inappropriate. I mean, <laughs> since, yeah, it's funny. 
I did notice a, a lot of your content seems very conscious toward that, the, um, you know, making sure that it's viral and uh, put together. I was wondering on the cover of Dreams, was that in response to, you know, there was a TikTok that went viral with that or kind oh, of in that not mindset? Directly, although the producer of the Standard album, who's Sean Michael Giddings, my new friend here in Austin, piano player on that on that album, and he also arranged that particular song. When I told him I wanted to do an instrumental tune like Dreams, <laughs> He just said, why don't you just do dreams? <laughs> and and um, no, it wasn't a total response to the TikTok thing, but but I did remember, I did, I did want to make sure I was doing songs, especially on that album, that are on people's mind. E- either a mixture, well, it's a mixture of stuff that's on people's mind and stuff that might jog someone's memory. You know? So that one fits both criteria, I think. Um so yes and no to answer your question. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I think so many artists they don't consider that a lot of times when producing content. Um, sure. You know, I, and I think I mean it's Googleable right now. People are googling it. Yeah. And then, yeah. but I think, you know, it does work twofold. Like you're saying, it does have the nostalgia to it also. And, and it's just a great of tune. Of course. You it's did a great an amazing song. Job. That's why, I, yeah, it's a great song with a great melody. And I didn't feel the need to sing it. One, because my fans were like, more trombone. I'm sure you hear that every day. Um, <laughs> and then another reason was because everyone knows the words and everyone knows the meaning. You don't have to explain it to anyone. And uh, so that made it kind of fun to just play on the trombone and be like, you guys know this. You know what I'm talking about here. Yeah. I love that for uh, if somebody were to say, hey, we're going to do this with trombone, I, I would have totally second guessed the voicing on it and stuff. But it, it was fantastic. It was awesome. Thank you. Your voice does some crazy things. Uh, you have such a great range and such a, a, a great way to manipulate your voice. I love uh, just everything about it. How much of that, uh, how much did you get from Bob Stoloff? The... Oh my gosh, what a good guy. Haven't heard that name in a long time. Um, <laughs> he helped me scat sing better. He helped me rhythmically. I had a bunch of tones already and a bunch of animation. I've spent my whole life pretty much trying to tone that down. Um, I'm what you're hearing now is me trying to tone it down as much as possible. Oh, wow. Um, because it's, I have a cartoon voice that goes in several, se- I have several actually. Okay. Um, and Bob was a, in the vocal department at Berkeley College of Music, and he's not really even a singer. He's a drummer and a wow. piano player. And he coached Bobby McFerrin, I guess, and worked with him a lot and wrote with him. And Bob and I just started to do, he was faculty at Berkeley while I was a student there. And I was in the, I was in the brass department um, by, that was a technicality. You had to declare an instrument, but I sang all the time. And Bob and I met once a week and we just worked on really cerebral, difficult things to try and tighten up my improvisation game. And it bled into the singing and the trombone. He brought, he had me take the book. There's a book called Syncopation for the Modern Drummer. And he used that as a tool to help me scat sing by taking all the rhythms and go and turning on the metronome and going, okay, now say the rhythms, don't sing them. Okay, cool. Now sing it only on one note and then do it on only arpeggios and so on and so forth. Just kind of give you tools. 
And it helped me kind of go from, I'm sort of know what I'm doing when I'm taking a vocal improv solo to like, I feel way more confident. I have tools in my toolbox and I'm not out there on my own, you know? Wow. That, Mm -hmm. that's gotta be amazing to work with people like that, to, to learn from people like that. I've been blessed. Tim and Phil Wilson primarily were the, the big ones for me, but many others. That is, did you have any other moments like that at Berkeley? Um, I'm just asking because, you know, growing up as a, a reform band dork myself, the, uh, you know, we, you hear about Berkeley and it's, it's like the Harvard of music and just wondering if you ever had any other kind of surreal mm-hmm. experiences where it was like, wow, this is Berkeley. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Berserkly? Berserkly. <laughs> it was just a bunch of goofballs, you know, trying, <laughs> working hard, working as hard as we could. Some people not, but many of us, yes. Um, <laughs> I had just some very, the best part about Berkeley was just the high concentration of students around me doing what they were doing. And it just was so inspiring all the time. And and it just, the workload was insane and intense. You could have skirted by and not done the work, but I did. I wanted to, and they gave me a scholarship. So I wanted to use it and, um, gigging all around Boston. That it was just a high concentration of crazy for a very short four years, three and a half in my case. And, um, however the faculty, yeah, I had some amazing times and the people, the guest artists they would bring in Linda Ronstadt came over. Oh my gosh. I'm like, this is my childhood favorite singer here. And, um, Livingston Taylor, James Taylor's brother taught a stage performance techniques class and just like gave me there so many good tips, just so many good tips. I'll never forget. Um, And then one trombone teacher, not Phil Wilson. Phil Wilson was my major mentor on the trombone at Berkeley. He taught um, on the third floor and gave me a key to his office. And he gave a bunch of students keys to his office. And we were copying them. And it was so (laughs) against the rules. And he was so would have gotten fired if he wouldn't have been like ancient by the time we even got there. And now he's still kicking and he's still, he's still old. He was old when I got there. And, um, and Phil would just trade fours with me all the time. We would just play back and forth. But, but then this other trombone teacher, John Fayetta is his name. And at the time he was at the Boston symphony. I think he's since moved to the Ohio symphony. So he was a classical player and I'm not a classical player. And I'm so worried. I, I knew I needed to take lessons from him because I knew I just needed, there were, there were some holes in my playing that I just needed to really get help on, especially with sight reading, but my sound too. And so I signed up to take lessons with John. And I thought he was going to be a snob because I play jazz and he, and I have no real interest in really becoming a classical player. And he's like first chair in the Boston pops, Boston symphony. <laughs> I'm kind of going, and he comes out, he teaches primarily at, he taught primarily at North uh, New England conservatory where all the classical kids go. And then he would like sometimes teach at Berkeley once a week. And so I got his once a week Berkeley thing. And I show up, I'm thinking he's going to be a snob and I'm, and I'm self-conscious. And he was the kindest, most understanding, totally knew what I was trying to do, totally understood my goals and helped me with my greatest weakness, which is still my greatest weakness, but helped me with my greatest weakness in a breakthrough that I had not had prior with any other teacher in a way that was very much caring and, and just tried to understand what my roadblocks were instead of just kind of like giving up on me or just telling me I needed to practice more. And he 
really helped me with a breakthrough in sight reading. I remember I cried. I broke down crying. I was so embarrassed, wow. but I felt so much better when he just started to play these cello suites on the He, I'm like trying to get my reading up. He's like, well, can you hear it? I'm like, well, yeah. He's like, well, if I play it, will you know what I'm playing on the page? If you see it while I'm playing it, I'm like, yes. And no one had ever taken the time to figure that out. And cause I could dictate better than I could read. I could, I could listen to a jazz tune and write down the chords that were being, I have the reverse, wow. like I have the reverse. And, and you know, when you're a kid, you only practice what you're good at. So right. I practiced that a lot cause <laughs> I could do that. And then I honed the skill, which is why I can arrange and write and compose pretty easily and pretty quickly. But reading is just like, you know, and, and, um, he just started, he's like, okay, you put the trombone down. I'm just going to play it. And I'm like, okay, I would love to listen to you play all day. I'd love to listen to you play for an hour. <laughs> he just, he just, I put the trombone down. He played it and I had my finger on the notes and he goes, now you play it. And then I did it and I could do it. And then he, and then the next day I showed up and he goes, okay, I'm going to, and he had done that with like five tunes that day. The next day he did it with three tunes and made me play two by myself. The next day he did it with two tunes and so on and so forth until I show up and his trombone's not eat. And then one day I show up, he wouldn't even take it out of his case. <laughs> then I'm not playing today. And you're going to read all of this and here's sight read. You've never just go. And I could do it. And nobody had ever done that for me. Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. During this interview, I have to say, I, I sometimes I like, especially at the beginning of this, I wish I'd never, listened to your music or knew anything about you until we talked. Because when <laughs> I first got on here, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm talking to Aubrey Logan. She did this song and that song. And I, I was seriously nervous. So I apologize. Oh, but I want to tell you, but I want to ask about this. You did a duet with Gloria Estefan. Do you ever get nervous with people? Like, do you ever get kind of fan thing going on? Um, Gloria Estefan laid her vocals on top of mine on a different day in a different city. So oh, I didn't actually meet her, but, um, Bummer. but, oh, but I've had experiences like that where I'm doing a duet with someone I've admired for a very long time, or they're like part of my childhood, <laughs> <laughs> like her, like her, for example. Yeah. Um, what's an example? Uh, well, two, three days ago, I did a show in LA there show, or in Orange County with Eric Marienthal on the saxophone and I grew up listening to Eric Marienthal and um, oh, wow. I giggled a little, yeah, you know, I giggled a little, <laughs> um, I mean, it's kind of like, <laughs> and, and he's like kind of handsome. So I'm just like, Oh boy, here we go. And then, um, and then we do the show and it's great, I, but, but sure. Yeah, I guess so. I, I'm, I'm more happy about it. I'm not like nervous in a debilitating way. It's just fun. Um, uh, Bert Bacharach sat in the front row of a show that I sang a Burt Bacharach song on. Oh my gosh. And I could see him speaking to people who've been old for a long time. <laughs> and um, I could see his face cause, cause that's his face. And um, <laughs> I'm singing his song. And that was, that was a little. Did you look, did, but, you then look it, but then it got good. Then it was fun. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, were you looking? I mean, that would be so hard. I wouldn't even want to look at him because uh, I looked at him because he was smiling. And that oh, was that's nice. good. That's, that's awesome. perfect, actually. Wow. And then I met him after the show. Oh, so cool. When you think of all the people that you that you I know you played with tons of people. Um, if there was going to be a double bill with Aubrey Logan, who would you want to be 
the other per, the other group or person on that bill? Oh, there's so many. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say somebody contemporary, though, who's don't, doing what I'm doing. Don't say Nickelback. <laughs> <laughs> Snarky Puppy would be a great double bill. I would enjoy that. Snarky Puppy. The guy... Um, yeah, maybe maybe it'll happen one day. Who knows? The guy playing guitar on my new album is plays with them a lot, tours with them quite a bit. I'm like, hey, Chris, uh, wanna hook me up? But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. But if it's someone like a legacy artist, you know, um, again, there most of them are have passed away. Uh, yeah. The ones I love the most. I mean, I mean, Prince would have been fun, but um, yeah. <laughs> But I, I go on the road with with Daryl uh, Daryl Hall. If I don't know if he'll ever do anything again with John Oates, but I'd go on the road with Daryl Hall. I'd go on the road with, and then on, like on the jazz side, I, I, you know, Herbie Hancock would make would make me happy. That would be good. Yeah. You know, it'd be awesome if you uh, went to Daryl's house. You know, the Daryl House shows. That yes. would be so much fun. Yeah. Yeah, that would be cool. I'd love to see that. Putting a good word for me. <laughs> I'll see what I can do, you know. <laughs> <laughs> do you notice a difference in the L.A. music scene and the Austin music scene? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's different. Um, very different. L.A., well, just by origin, it's different. L.A. is a bunch of studio musicians and TV working musicians and then at night, they just want to play music together at, in random spots. Austin is just music, music, music. And that's how it started. And that's how it's going to end. You know, well, maybe. Yeah. Um, but but Austin's like a, more like a we're just here to play type of a place. So there's a lot more music venues in Austin. L.A.'s wanting for that. But it, but L.A.'s a hub. It's a home base. Austin is too. But yeah, there's a difference. Have you picked anything up from Austin that you've incorporated in your own style or music? Only when, only, you know, it's hard to pick. No, I only say <laughs> that because, because what I pick up is from individual people, not necessarily cities. That makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I pick, I pick stuff is, yeah. So that makes it the same as LA, I guess, <laughs> in that regard. And New York and London and wherever else I've picked up musicians, France. Russia. <laughs> postmodern jukebox. I really think that was for me when we started seeing postmodern jukebox. It really brought a lot of um, that jazzy swing stuff to more of the mainstream. I wonder how much do you do you feel that like your music and stuff is owed to somebody like that? Oh, a lot. Well, my fan, my actual fans are postmodern jukebox fans. Actual individuals. Oh, cool. So yeah, a lot. And Dave Cause fans. Yeah, Dave Cause, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, um, and and not and not, but um, yeah, huge it made in a massive way. Don't know what else to say. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. good. I was for, right for once. Yeah, for sure. So when you're home, when you're just home, uh, chilling, you know, with the pup and and your and your hubby, what are, what's what are you playing? What music are you listening to? everything uh what like today or yesterday like <laughs> um today i was listening to the dirty loops all day because i'm really enjoying them right now because they're over the top and kind of funny <laughs> and chops super chops um i was listening to johnny cash yesterday um and sting 
Um, listen to a lot of Monty Alexander lately. I mean, I, I'm not giving you much consistency, am I? No, that's great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, no. I think that's fantastic. I'm, and I would imagine with everything that, you know, uh, your music, it, I think it all comes out there. I really like the last two albums, and I just can't wait to hear the rest of this new album. Thank um, you. But there's so much soul funk in your voice and in the in the music. Louboutin, you've stripped that down, and that's mm-hmm. I liked it before. It's amazing mm-hmm. now. Thank you. you know, I, I just I really love it. Thank you. Have you ever played any Sade? Yeah, I, well, I haven't. I mean, in my oh. house, it's a staple. Oh, yeah, so. okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, duh, yeah, I have I mean, too. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm definitely nothing like her, but I love her no. so much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I do. And I know people, thanks to Dave Cause, of course, just people who've played with her and played for her, and I hear she's just kind of great and, and a sweetheart and quite shy. And mm. um, But the, the other, no, those are songs that, reach down and to people and stay there forever. Absolutely. Forever. Um, and so that's, that's somebody my parents would play too, um, growing up and yeah, she's great. She's great. <laughs> well, you know, she, and she's exactly one of the things you said, if you listen, if you just read her lyrics they're they can be trite, but if mm-hmm. it's the way she vocalizes them, the way she sings them, it's sure. You know, and trite isn't always bad. It, it's like, we need a little corn and cheese. <laughs> we need a little bit, you know, um, People like it. It's just when it's, yeah, and it's not, she does it in a very classy, subtle way. Yeah, everything you know. she does is so, so classy. Yeah. yeah. I want to make sure that we are not taking too much of your time. Aubrey, it's been a pleasure to talk to you tonight. And um, thank you for having me both. Thank you. Definitely, you're welcome on our show anytime. Um, thank you. And I just want, all of our listeners to check out your music by going to aubreylogan.com. They can check out a lot of your songs and your videos and, and also uh, they can pick up the new album standard on May 20th. You have a great album um, album release and I will be there for at least one of those shows. So thank you. Thanks for being on the show tonight. Thank you so much. And thank you and have a good night. You guys have a good night, Aubrey. Thanks. Thank you. And we'll have Aubrey play us out with the single on the sunny side of the street from her new album standard. Grab your coat and get your hat, leave your worries on the doorstep. Just direct your feet to the sunny side of the street. Can you hear a bitter pad on that happy tune is your step? Life can be so sweet on the sunny side of the street. I used to walk in the shade with those blues on parade. But I'm not afraid. This rover crossed over if I never had a cent. Rockefeller Gold dust at my feet On the sunny side of the street
never had a cent I'd be rich as Rockefeller Gold dust at my feet on the sunny side of the street. Thanks for hanging out with us on the True Fiction Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please visit us at Facebook. You can also leave us a review on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. Until next time, stay true and stay creative. Hey, hey. You're too late.